Lovely to have you online, Tuaco. Gillian and I are going to be with you in a couple of weeks' time, so we're really looking forward to that. It's lovely to come to Tuaco, and then after that, it's wonderful go to go to Pocono Bacon and get some sausages to bring home. It's like, you know, first in the, in the natural, then in the spiritual, or first in the spiritual, then in the natural. It works both ways. Fantastic. Gillian and I were um, at the uh, Young Adults Gathering about how to adult, because we're still trying to work it out, right? So, <laughs> so we, we needed some help, and we had a great um, group of young, young adults to work with. I'm Michael, for those that don't know me, married to the lovely Gillian, and it's great to be with you in the room, and it's great to be with you online, whether it's at Tuakau or wherever you are. Welcome. There was a, a phrase in the, in the worship, I make room, meet me here. And I want just for a moment, um, if you would just indulge me, just to close your eyes and just to bow your heads, whether you're in the room here, Tuakau, online, and think about where is it, uh, what, what would it look like for you to meet with God? You know, would you be walking along a beach um, at sunset? Uh, would you be sitting on a, a father's knee? Just what's the image? There's no right or wrong image, but just what's the image that comes to mind for you? So have you captured that? That's great. Open your eyes again. Fantastic. We're in a series looking at the closeness of God, the intimacy of God. And can I encourage you to listen to some of the other messages if you haven't been able to be here, uh, at, uh, to listen to them in person. Go online and have a listen to them. Pastor Jan spoke a really uh, encouraging word around just closeness and intimacy with God. Pastor Sheridan spoken into it. Pastor Simon um, and Pastor Chrissy, so um, yeah, have a look at those. And also with those, we're putting up some resources on the church website um, just to really help you on that journey. So go and have a look at that. That would be fantastic. Special thanks to Kit this morning because I bombarded her with like about 27 slides. So, so um, she's out the back somewhere and she's making this happen. So we'd show our appreciation for Kit, couldn't we? That would be fantastic. Awesome. Thank you, Kit. Um, A.W. Tozer, who was a great devotional writer, he said this, What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, just when I ask you to think about, you know, when you think about meeting with God, what does that look like for you? It doesn't matter what it looks like, but it's an important kind of stepping stone into what intimacy with Jesus looks like. Um, you know, I grew up in the um, when did I grow up? 1957 is when I was born. I'm still growing up, right? So it's a hard question to answer. But um, I don't remember my, sitting on my dad's knee a lot as a child. Um, I don't know whether that's not what dads did, you know, at that kind of time of life or whatever, or whether I was too young to remember it. But I know when it came to our kids, you know, I really wanted to have that experience of them just with that intimacy of them being on my knee. Confession with our daughter, she was just like, she was born at 100 miles an hour and it never got any slower. And confession, I used to love it when she was sick. Isn't that horrible as a parent? Because then she was cuddly and she would come and she'd give me cuddles and say to her, oh, I feel so guilty that I like it when she's sick and I'm praying that she gets better, but not until I've had a cuddle for an hour or so. Um, and you know, what we believe about God really influences our intimacy with him. How can we connect more closely with God? Mark Comer wrote this. He said, often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology is a mirror to the soul. It shows what is deep inside us. Or to put it another way, what we think about God will shape our intimacy with God. 
you know, we can start from the assumption often that we, we think about what God is like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we watched the coronation. I watched up until about quarter to 11, and then I knew I was speaking today, so I said, Gillian, I'm out of here. Gillian being the royal watcher in our household, I don't know what time she came to bed, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, I'm not sure when it was. Um, but, you know, we, we saw the coronation, and we learned a lot about King Charles, but we didn't learn a lot about his character and nature and intimacy. And often when we think about God, we know a lot about God. You know that he's present everywhere and he's all-powerful. And those are wonderful things to know. But the scripture writers, when they talk about God, they start from the, from the viewpoint, we don't know who God is, but God reveals himself to us. And I love what Pastor Sheridan said the other week about God reveals himself to you that you might reveal yourself to him. And I think that's a real key in this intimacy with God. God reveals himself to us, his character, his nature. Oh, I've had a few minutes free. His character, his nature, so that we might reveal our character and our nature to God. And God isn't looking for the sanctified version. God wants the good, bad, and the ugly and says, Come as you are, Michael. Don't pretend. I know the beginning from the end, so I know when you're faking it, so don't fake it till you make it. Just come in honesty and transparency before me, and God welcomes that kind of relationship. There's a wonderful scripture in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7, and it's the scripture of when Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's getting the Ten Commandments, and it's a remarkable piece of scripture, because in this piece of scripture, God reveals something of his character and nature. I don't know about you, but when I think about the Old Testament, I think about battles, I think about the walls of Jericho, I think about um, David and Goliath. But yet God reveals something of his character and nature in this passage of scripture. It'll be on the screen for you. Exodus 34 verse 5. When the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there before him, before Moses, he called out in his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Amazing that God in the Old Testament reveals his character and his nature to you and me. Absolutely amazing. You know, God describes himself, he starts with the name Yahweh, and he talks about his compassion and mercy, slow to anger, unfailing love, faithfulness, forgiveness, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I got into a bit of trouble at the nine o'clock gathering, which is not unusual for me. <laughs> um, having been in ministry for 33 years, <laughs> I've been in trouble most of, my, most of those 33 years probably at some stage or another. But I was introducing Gillian and I felt a bit of negative feedback from some of the ladies in the room. So um, I'm not sure how it'll go this morning. I thought about cutting it out, but I thought, no, let's go for it. So this is my lovely wife, Gillian. I'm going to ask her to stand. Thank you, Gillian. Now, I could describe Gillian to you as um, a person who was born in Walkworth in 1955. I told the story at the 9 a.m. that we went to Walkworth to see the big hill that Gillian walked up as a child. 
We walked right, and it was by the fire station. There was only one fire station we found, and there was no hill. We decided when you're two, your little legs are smaller, right? And a big hill seems much bigger when you're two than when you're older than two. I could tell you that she was born to a Methodist family with European parents. She's 164 centimetres tall. She has blue eyes. She used to have brown hair, and she weighs 59 kilos. Oh, I'm, sens- I'm sensing a bit of that negative vibe again. Oh, let me redeem myself. Let me redeem myself. I could describe Gillian to you as being brought up in a loving Christian family. Uh, we've been married for 39 years, and uh, our oldest now is 33, and she's amazing, loving wife and mother. She's also a GP who's touched hundreds, if not thousands, of people's lives as long as she's been involved in general practice. Now, the first description was accurate, right? It told you something about the attributes of Gillian, but the second introduction revealed something of her character and nature, what we love and appreciate about Gillian. Which did you like best? (laughs) The second. The second. Why was it a lady that said that? The first thing, she's wise, that's right. A lady said that because women are wise. Is that right? Yes, it is. Remember that online? That's a takeaway. So uh, take that on board and you'll live a long and healthy life. The first thought for this morning is that God has a name. And names in the Bible are important. Uh, Abram, which means exalted father, in Genesis chapter 7 because becomes Abraham because he's going to be the father of many nations. Abraham and Sarah, they have a son, Isaac. And remember that they are old in age. The, the possibility of having a biological child is remote. And Sarah laughed. She said, oh, God, if this happens, that would be a joke. And I can just imagine every time Isaac's name is mentioned, it says God laughs at the impossible because we have this child, this child of promise, He's going to ensure that our descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands in the seashore, it was impossible, but God laughs at impossibility. Every time they remembered that name Isaac, it would remind them of that promise. Jacob's son Jacob, sorry, Isaac's son Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright, and Jacob means heel grabber, you know, someone who's deceptive, who doesn't tell the truth. And he wrestles with God, uh, we read. In Genesis 36, Jacob wrestles with God, and his name is changed to Israel. And Israel means he struggles with God, and his life is different from that point on. When God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. El was the Canaanite word for other gods, so God was saying, I am much more than other gods. And every time they said his name, El Shaddai, it would remind them that there are other gods. There's a pantheon of other gods. But Yahweh is greater than any of those. You'll remember um, Moses. Uh, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And hopefully we've got a burning bush, have we? Yes, we have. Thank you, Kit. That's fantastic. And God says, Moses, I want you to go and free the children of Israel. They're in captivity in Egypt. And Moses is coming up with all of the reasons why he can't do that. And Moses asks a very interesting question. He says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent you to me, they will ask, what is your name? What should I tell them? And the significance in the Hebrew is they were asking, what makes your name significant or so different? Or how much... Are you greater than the other Egyptian gods? And there's this fascinating passage of scripture in Genesis um, chapter 34, 
verse, sorry, chapter 3, verse 14, God replied to Moses and said, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now we miss a bit of that in our English translation, but in what it's saying in the Hebrew is, we could translate that as whatever I am, I will be. It's talking about the consistency of God, that God is always consistent and shifting, stable. So when God is compassionate, God is compassionate all of the time. When God is gracious, God is gracious all of the time. When God is slow to anger, he's always slow to anger. There's no facade. God is always true to his character. John writes at the, at the beginning of his gospel, and he draws upon some of this Old Testament imagery from Exodus chapter 34. He writes in John chapter 1 verse 14, he says, So the word became human and made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Made his home amongst us was reference to the tabernacle. Do you remember in the Old Testament that Yahweh dwelt with them in the tabernacle, but now he's saying this tabernacle has come and now dwells in your midst in the person of Jesus. We have seen his glory. That's what Moses stood in on Mount Sinai when the cloud was around the mountain. And Moses knew what it was to stand in the glory of God. And now John is saying, this glory is now present in your midst in the person of Jesus. I love towards the end of, of John's gospel, that wonderful prayer that John prays for the church. And in John 17, 26, he says, I have revealed them to you and I will continue to do so. This is Jesus' prayer. Then your love will be for me, sorry, then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. And I love the message version of this. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Mark Comer writes about this and he says, Jesus, the long-awaited human coming of Yahweh, the God on top of Mount Sinai, has now come and dwelt in our midst. Friends, God himself has come in the person of Jesus and dwells in our midst so that the character of Yahweh, the character of God, might be revealed to you so that you and I, in turn, might reveal our character to him. Warts and all, the good, bad, and the ugly. God's a relational being and he wants that relationship with you and I. In Exodus 33 and verse 11, we read a remarkable verse where it says that God would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I wonder when I ask you to think about, you know, how would God meet with you? What, what that imagery was like for you? Does it capture that sense of intimacy that God would speak to you as a friend? Or are the figures that we have in our mind a, a bit of a distance? What is it to understand that God wants to come and speak to you and me as a friend, not to kind of catch me out, not to remember, Michael, all the things you've done wrong in the last week. He knows those anyway, but just to come in honesty and transparency before him. In Moses 32, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, and the Israelites have been busy. Do you remember what they did? They made a golden calf. They said, well, we just threw all this gold in there, and hey, presto, out came a golden calf. How amazing was that? And um, if I would be God, I would want to strike them dead, wouldn't you? And, and so I imagine that Yahweh is pretty ticked off with them. And we have this remarkable verse in Genesis chapter 32, verse 14. Maybe one of the most remarkable verses in the Old Testament. 
So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Can God change his mind? What do you think? Can, can, are we that important that we can stand in the gap for others and God would change the course of human history because you and I stand in the gap for someone else? Would God do that? God is not inflexible, demanding, blind allegiance, but true love can only be expressed if there is freedom to follow and not to follow. God is involved in our lives, not controlling our lives as though we were programmed to respond in a certain way. God does not respond to the right formula, but God says, Michael, if you will do this, then I will do this. The future is not set in stone. The prayers that we pray and the decisions that we make do affect what will happen in the future. Prayer is meant to be brutally honest, stripped bare and vulnerable. It's when your deepest desires and fears and dreams come out of your mouth. It's when your conversation with God is unfiltered. You know what? Not to come before God like the Pharisees did and kind of give them the, the filtered version. But we're to come in our brokenness and our honesty and transparency say, God, I'm a mess. I don't know what the next step forward is. But God, I'm asking that you would show that and reveal that to me. I love this quote from Dallas Willard, and he writes this. He said, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when, it is o- when he is only doing what he is, was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether or not we pray, haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer impossible, replacing it with a dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. Friends, whether you're here in the room, Tuaco online, whether you're watching online at home, wherever you are, your prayers make a difference. The God of the universe has chosen to work through you and I. Believe, if I was the God of the universe, I would not do it this way. But fortunately, that's never going to happen. The God of the universe has chosen to work through you and I. And we can change the course of human history. Prayer is not just some sort of ritual. It's not that God's decided what he's going to do anyway. And when I pray, that's just because I have to pray. But God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. In a way that I can't fully explain to you. God works through human vessels to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Friends, when we learn to live like that, something comes alive on the inside of us. This is a partnership with Yahweh. He's revealing his very character and nature to us. He's wanting us to bring the culture from heaven to earth. He's wanting us to make a difference. He's wanting us to bring redemption to the planet in which we live. I really felt this morning, just for a moment, that God was going to give us just names. Uh, God is going to drop names into our minds and we're going to pray for them and just believe together that God is going to change the course of human history for those people. They might be in your family, they might be friends, they might be you know, students at school, people you work with, people in your flat. Don't overthink this, but just in a moment we're going to just close our eyes and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to drop one name um, into your head. If you've got more than one name, that's a bonus, but I've got faith to believe for one name. So let's just do that. Can we just um, close our eyes for a moment? Holy Spirit, I pray right now in my life and our lives, whether we're in the room, whether we're at Tuakal, whether we're online, would you just drop a name into my head and our heads? Someone that you want us to stand in the gap for in Jesus' name.
Okay, have you got that name? If you haven't, it's okay. You might get revelation about it further along the day. That's fine. For me, I'm praying for our daughter, Catherine. She's always on my mind. I'm wanting to see her make a fresh commitment for Jesus. So Lord, we bring these names before you. And our whānau, extended whānau, flatmates, people we study with, people we work amongst. Lord, we pray that you would continue to take them on that journey to faith in Jesus. And Lord, we're just saying that we're willing to be part of that journey. Whether you want us to share something of our story, whether you want to love them in a way that reveals your love for them. Lord, whatever it looks like. But Lord, we're committing these people to you. We're feeling you're calling us to stand in the gap this morning. And Lord, we're praying that you would make a way, that you would change the course of human history for them. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's believe for that. Because people did that for us, right? There were people that we may never know. I had a, a praying grandmother. She was a fearsome lady. Gertrude Mary Brown was her name. And um, family legend has it that she would double park at Kakaldi and Staines, which is a big supermarket in Wellington. And when the police came along, they'd see her car and they'd say, no, don't put a ticket on that. You don't mess with Mrs. Harley Brown. And they'd walk on. I'm sure that's not right, but it's a good story, right? So um, I remember... When she was, um, we were trying to persuade her to stop driving, she used to, um, it was a column change, Morris Oxford she, Oxford, she used to randomly select gears between one and four to start off with, and you're going across State Highway number one from a standing start, it's good for the prayer life, right? Especially when she selects fourth, and she's bunny hopping across the road, we say, Gran, you've driven for over 50 years, why don't you just let other people drive for you? No, she said, I was the first woman to drive over the Rimatakas, there's nothing wrong with my driving. So we're not to think of God in those kind of ways, um, a more intimate kind of relationship. But she prayed for me. I remember going and standing with her, and she uh, going and staying with her, and she taught me the Lord's prayer. And so I stand here because there were people who prayed in my life. You're here today in this room online because people stood in the gap and prayed for you. Let's believe the people we stood in the gap and prayed for. And let's not just pray once, but whenever Holy Spirit brings that person to mind. Believe that God will make a way for them as well. The second thing that I wanted to share with us this morning, the first is that God's got a name, right? So God is revealing his character and nature to you and I. Not just what he does, but who he is. And God's inviting us on that journey of bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. And we're to reveal our nature, the good, bad, and the ugly. When we pray, we're to come broken, hurting, angry, whatever it is, unfiltered. And we're to have the conversation with God in our transparency, because that's what builds intimacy. The second thought for this morning is that Jesus comes as Yahweh in a fresh way to show us the way. You know, sometimes I meet people and they say, oh, Michael, you know, it's great that you believe in, in Jesus. You know, um, that's just one of the ways to God. As though there was this big mountain, right? And so Christianity is kind of like one sort of trail up the mountain. And if you're a Buddhist, you know that's another trail up the mountain. Have you heard this kind of way of thinking? And if there's Hinduism, it's another way up the mountain. But it's all going to the same, top of the same mountain, and there's the same deity there. And Mark Comer, and I put his book on the website, God Has a Name, um, and he says the only problem with that is all of those different paths of different religions are going to the top of a mountain, but there's a different deity on the top of the mountain. If you're a Buddhist and you're, you're climbing to the top of the mountain, it's not Yahweh you're going to encounter on the top of the mountain. It's another God you're going to encounter at the top of the mountain. And he talks about, you know, it's only Jesus 
of all the pantheonists of God, it's only Jesus who comes and brings God to us. And I think we see this um, reflected in this um, next scripture that Kit's got for us. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and he taught them the Lord's Prayer, and he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus comes to earth to reveal more of what the kingdom of heaven is like here on earth. And that there are no other gods in the pantheons of gods that do that. That is something that is unique to Yahweh. God, um, God's will is not always being done here on earth. You know, here on earth there is suffering, there is sorrow, there is sickness. But there's going to be no suffering or sorrow and sickness in heaven. And our job is to bring the culture of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, from heaven to earth and establish it here. And at the moment, there's a clash of kingdoms. Because we pray for people, right? But not everyone gets better. Um, And so we're to bring more of that culture from heaven to earth. And God's not weak. In the universe, he's chosen love to be the highest value. And God's choice means that there has to be freedom. Evil is a byproduct of the freedom that God builds into the fabric of the universe, which is its highest value. So if you really love someone, there has to be choice, right? Otherwise, it's not love. It's just like an automatic kind of response. Be like saying to Gillian, you know, I love you. And she says, well, do you really? Or is this just something you feel you have to say? Sometimes if you're married, it's something you feel you have to say. And you do mean it, right? <laughs> just being honest. Um, you know, it can, it can be both. But because there is freedom to love or to not love, the byproduct of that is in this time, there is evil in the world. And it's up to us to actually bring something more of the kingdom from heaven to earth. This really came home to us when we lost our our grandson, Damien, at 18 months old. And he just died unexpectedly. I mean, if you've heard the story, we were there that weekend. We were living in Christchurch. Our daughter was in Wellington. We were playing with him in the morning. I'd been preaching up the Kapiti Coast. We were heading to the airport and got a, a, a telephone call to say, come to the emergency department at Wellington Hospital. Your grandson's died. It wasn't on our radar. It was just absolutely devastating. And in those times when evil smashes into your world, you need to come before God honest, angry, hurting, lost, and say, God, I don't understand this, but Lord, I'm trusting in the midst of this that you're able to bring something redemptive out of a situation that looks so destructive. Friends, when life come, when evil comes crashing into our lives, don't blame God. Don't give up in your Christian faith. It's probably not his fault. There's a clash of kingdoms. There's a war on. The kingdom of heaven is not yet here in all of its fullness. And over the course of time, we needed to learn to kind of pick ourselves up and trust God and say, we're going to fight even harder for this battle to see more of God's kingdom come from heaven to earth because we don't want to see other grandparents, other parents go through the horror that we've been through. God, would you bring something redemptive from this situation that's been so destructive in our lives? You know, we shouldn't be surprised that when people go to a, a Baha'i temple that they experience something, get involved in transcendental meditation. They experience something. Sometimes I think as Western Christians or Christians in New Zealand, we're so naive. But going to India recently with Pastor Sheridan, you're so conscious of the supernatural. You're so conscious of this battle that's raging between good and evil. And there's a scripture I want to share with you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 19 to 22. And Paul is talking about not sacrificing food 
uh, not eating food that's been offered to idols, not because, you know, God can't bless it and it's okay, but often idols in our lives can be portals to the demonic. And it's quite a straight scripture that he, that he puts, and I'm going to read it to you now. 1 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 19. I do not mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything, but no sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I, and I do not want you to be a, to pay participants with demons. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot be part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And N.T. Wright, who's a well-known New Testament theologian, I think he puts it really well. I've got the quote there for you. When we humans commit idolatry, worshipping that, that which is not God as if it were, we thereby give other creatures and beings in the cosmos a power, a prestige, and authority over us, which we under God were so supposed to have over them. When we worship an idol, whatever it is, you abdicate something of your own proper human authority over the world and give it instead to that thing, whatever it is. We're created in the image of God, which means that we are hardwired for worship, made by the creator of the universe to love and to live for something that's greater than ourselves. Worship isn't a religious thing. It's what it means to be truly human. In the sense, God created us to worship. Everyone worships. The choice is what you choose to worship. And I'm going to um, start to wrap it up with this quote from Mark Comer who says, Worship, beauty, romance, and sex, and you'll always feel ugly and lonely. And when you age, you will die decades before your time. Worship money and stuff and that extra car you don't need, and you'll always feel poor and discontented and unhappy with the life you actually have. So I say it again, there is one true creator God who made the world and everything good, beautiful and true in it. He and he alone is deserving of worship. He is the only source of life and peace and meaning and significance that will last past death and into forever. So friends, what are we worshipping? What are we placing our allegiance in? If we, if we treat things in our life, you know, idols, whether it's, whether it's money or whatever it is, if we put our trust in those, then that really distracts our worship from where our worship should be. And those things, either, you know, either we possess those things or those things can possess us. So just to recap what we've said this morning, two main things. God has a name. God is wanting to reveal his character and his nature to you. It's fine to think about who God is, you know, as being all-powerful, but it's hard to build relationship with someone who's all-powerful. Hard to build relationship with my wonderful wife, Gillian, who... Um, has hair that's no longer brown and um, weighs, I can't remember how many kilos um, because I've had healing of the memories. And, you know, is, is so, you know, you can't build a relationship, but someone who's sacrificially sacrificed for our family for nearly 40 years, who stood in the gap for us, prayed for us, supported us and encouraged us as a family, that's someone you can build an intimate relationship with. And it's only Jesus who shows us the way. You know, sometimes people will say to me, like when Damien died, people said, I, I talk about, oh, I don't know how I would have got through this time if it wasn't for my Christian faith. And they'll say, you know, I've got faith. I say, that's great. What have you got faith in? Never dismiss someone's expression of spirituality. Or we'll say, you know, I, I, believe in, I believe in prayer. Who do you pray to? And be on the journey with them. 
and help them to understand that it's only Jesus who comes to reveal who God is. The other gods that we can have in our lives, they're like false comforters. They don't help us to know the risen Christ. I was trying to think about, you know, how can I help us kind of go forward from here? And here are a, a few ideas for kind of next steps in terms of developing our intimacy with Jesus. And it really revolves, I think God's wanting to reclaim the Sabbath in our lives. Um, John, uh, Mark Comer's has written another book about um, kind of like, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but like the pursuit of just being busy, relentless pursuit of busyness. You'll know what it's called. Ruthless elimination of hurry. Thank you. A chocolate fish for that man at the end of the gathering. Well deserved. And, and he just gives some examples. You know, one might be unplugged from your device for a couple of hours. I've taken, some of you know that we'll live in Eureka because we're trying to recreate the Garden of Eden there. And um, I'll take off, I used to be an orchardist if you don't understand that joke, so I love growing things. So I'll take off my watch and my phone for two hours. I used to get a bit jittery at the start, you know. It's like, and, and just a great time to connect with God and just do the new th next thing I feel prompted to do. Maybe you need to unplug for a couple of hours and just ponder on your relationship with God as you're doing stuff. Maybe have a meal with family and friends or with a flat and during that process, during that meal together, just each one around the table share about what this relationship with God look like for you. Maybe watch an episode of The Chosen. Um, if you haven't watched The Chosen, it's an app you can download on your phone. And Jesus is just so real. You know, no blue eyes, no white hair, no Caucasian face. He looks Jewish. He laughs. He has a joke with the disciples. Just really real in his humanity, but also supernatural in, in, in his spirituality as well. Go for a, a walk along the beach at sunset. Just think about the God who created that. Maybe you should like to read a, a letter from the New Testament, but instead of you reading it, have the U version or someone play it to you. Maybe, I don't know, the book of Ephesians or something and just listen to it and ponder it. Or find someone in your neighborhood that you could help and then think, what would Jesus want me to do to help them? Just some things to kickstart us on this journey of greater intimacy with Jesus.